And then I remember I was on a beach in Santorini in Greece. And for some reason, I had brought a book with me called Happiness. It was written by an economist. I was a big fan of The Economist at the time. And it's Richard Layer, uh, L-A-Y-A-R-D. And he spoke about happiness, but from a from an economic from, from an economic point of view. And that just got me going. Welcome to the Prosperous and Happy Life Podcast. I'm Mary Hagerman, investment advisor, financial planner, and portfolio manager with Raymond James in Montreal. In this podcast, I'm delighted to share tips and experiences from my quest to help my clients be prosperous and happy. For over 30 years, I've worked with thousands of clients and countless experts, all looking to have a rich and fulfilling life. My interests go far beyond the realm of money, and you'll get a taste of that here. In my interviews, I share stories and wisdom, along with advice from the many experts I've encountered. You can put all of this to good use in your life or your work or both. I hope you'll join me each month for a new episode, either on Spotify or Google Podcasts. Please subscribe, like, and share with friends. I've been a firm believer in the benefits of mindfulness for over 40 years now. And in my book, The Black Belt Investor, I talk about how the 2008-2009 financial crisis was a turning point in my meditation practice. I finally became a regular meditator to help me deal with all my stress. So since that time, I've cultivated many friendships in the consciousness space. And a few years ago, I had the good fortune of meeting today's podcast guest, Carl Lemieux, the founder of the leadership and well-being consultancy, Minds Matter. Carl is an author, workplace psychologist, management consultant, executive coach, psychotherapist, and mindfulness teacher. Woof. (laughs) Over his 35-year career, Carl has supported the design of corporate strategy and complex transformation initiatives, as well as coach and develop thousands of leaders and professionals. He's also co-author of a new book called Vertical Growth, and we'll be talking about that too today in our chat. So, Carl, welcome to the Prosperous and Happy Life podcast. It's a real treat to have this chance to interview you. Yeah, it's a real treat, Mary, to be with you. We've been having conversations for actually quite a few years, so it'll be a pleasure to uh, deep dive into some of those today. We both evolved. Yeah, yeah, Mm. absolutely. And I know some cool stuff about you. Um, I I really want to talk about some key concepts of your books, of course, and give people tips on how they can find greater happiness and well-being at work. But I know that you have a very interesting background. So tell us, um, to start off, how you became an authority in the mindfulness space. Mm. I always take that with a lot of humility. Authority is <laughs> its a lifelong journey, as you can imagine. I, I still, that's what I love about this, is because despite the 15-year, well, maybe more than that, because I became a psychologist over 40 years ago, um, I, I never get bored of it, and there's always more to deep dive into. So I have, a, indeed, just a slightly weird background where I started as a workplace psychologist, but right away got hired by an accounting firm, one of the big fives, and not expecting 
what I was going to do was industrial psychologist or workplace psychologist. I ended up restructuring companies and doing executive comp and business process reengineering and mergers and acquisitions and did an MBA through all of that. So I really fell deep down into the world of organization, including managing some healthcare systems, et cetera. So it truly was a, a business background, despite my, my keen initial interest in psychology. And I guess like many people, um, you know, in the 40s, we start asking ourselves questions and we start taking stock on our life. And that's when I would say, I realized that, you know, I had worked hard. I had, you know, quite a bit of success. I was very proud of all that, but I wasn't really happy. Uh, everything was going around, you know, trying to be more successful, bigger mandates, you know, accumulating wealth. That's one of the classic things you do in your 30s and early 40s. And then I remember I was on a beach in Santorini in Greece. And for some reason, I had brought a book with me called Happiness. It was written by an economist. I was a big fan of The Economist at the time. And it's Richard Layer, uh, L-A-Y-A-R-D. And he spoke about happiness, but from, a, from, an, econo from, from an economic point of view. And that just got me going. And, and from that age on, that was over 15 years ago, I just deep dove back into my initial passion, which was psychology. So initially, I was trying to figure out, you know, what makes people happy? <laughs> what, what, are the, what are the foundations? And, and, you know, you've been at this for a while. Yeah, well, that, that's a that's a great story. I actually forgot about the Greece part, but uh, yeah, I've I've got a story about going to Greece where it sort of changed my life too. You know, <laughs> it probably changed many people's lives. Yeah, some I for the better I'm... and some for the worse. But exactly, <laughs> we'll, we'll focus on the better. <laughs> I think a lot of people can identify with your story. Not exactly running off to the ashram, but you know, scaling back on the big corporate life, big house, big car, big responsibilities, lots of pressure. So um, I'd like to focus on the main messages or pillars of your new book, Vertical Growth. Um, congrats, by the way, it's a great book. So especially in the context of people's work life yeah. and as a financial advisor with a prosperous and happy brand, I tell my clients that to create a realistic and effective financial plan, they have to dig deep into their own authenticity and find out what they truly want in life. Maybe mm -hmm. you can talk about this and, and, and tell us how in your book you, you speak in terms of intention. So yeah. explain to us what you mean about that. Yeah, that's indeed the first thing we address in the book, the first pillar we look at. Because when I was reading on happiness, I realized that happiness was more of an outcome. And it was an outcome to a series of other psychological processes. And if you, you know, we live for... We live in a world where we're very socially driven. We call that a socialized mind. An author called Robert Keegan from Harvard mapped out the various levels of consciousness. And the average person, like about 68% of the population, is at what we call a socialized mind or lower. And what that means is we tend to do things to please others. We tend to do things to be loved. We tend to do things to avoid harm. And it's a very sort of... It's externally driven, all right? The problem with that is that it pulls us in many directions. Just think of all the social media right now and how people get lost in them and feeling that everybody else is having a much better time than they are. And all of that generates a lot of anxiety because you're comparing yourself to the Jones all the time. So the self-authored mind is something you have to take, well, most of us, 
need to actually make the effort because by nature we were you know we were we evolved in tribes way back when and to be thrown out of the tribe was a matter of life and death at the time so it's very normal that we hang out in that space most of us most of the time so to actually notice that and then to say okay what do i really want to move towards what's really important independently of what people are are, are suggesting is important or society or having you know that next nice car or changing neighborhoods all that stuff we know that's not what's behind happiness what's behind happiness is indeed having clarity on your values having clarity on your sense of purpose and sense of purpose doesn't need to be this grandiose things where you're changing the world. You'd be changing the world one person at a time. You could be, you know, a bus driver and, and making a conscious choice of greeting every passenger with a big smile. And it's actually a, an article, in, I think, the New York Times about uh, a driver that died and he was noticed by so many people because that's that was his life purpose. So to be sitting on a clear intention that embody that generates strong and positive and enlightening emotions within your body when you think about that intention and you it should be simple powerful and supported by one or two values to drive you towards that intention now this could be revisited every once in a while but usually it takes you know at least a good year to train to change personality traits and to change important behaviors in our lives. So it's good to be very specific, choose that intention, and then you really find those behaviors that are driving you closer to it. Well, I, I appreciate the fact that you say that it takes some time because you're, you're talking about something that's really very, very important. And it's said that, you know, a lot of people just don't know who they really are. And from a financial standpoint, uh, there's a quote that I have in my book, which I really like. I attributed it to Deepak Chopra, but I think mm -hmm. a lot of other wellness gurus have said it, but people spend money they don't have to buy things they don't mm -hmm. need to please people they don't like. <laughs> yeah. And um, obviously, the more that you can work on this self-awareness and sense of purpose it it helps you build a roadmap and from where i'm coming from a financial plan that is much more realistic and attainable so yeah. Yeah. are you then saying that self-awareness and self-regulation is perhaps a starting point of all vertical growth well, certainly the self-awareness piece, and uh, both actually, but the self-awareness is where you're actually taking stock. So you're aware of the life that you're living, and has it been driven by that socialized mind I talk about, trying to please others, etc.? Mm -hmm. Or is it being driven by a renewed intention? Because that changes in time. I don't have the same intention I had at 40, at 50, etc. So yeah, it's being able to see through the noise of what's expected of us in society, to really, you know, anchor in your purpose, your intention, and the self-regulation element to it is the fact that you will be driven away from it because you've been wired for the former, meaning the socialized mind. There, there's very quickly, I think it's important to get into the brain that we, we I, I summarize that we have two major brains. We have the very fast brain, which is the old mammalian and reptilian brains put together, which just do things on an automatic way. 
and part of that automatic way is fitting into the tribe. It's it's it's, it's being liked. It's 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 uh, uh, the the seeking out of pleasure and and and, and consumption, etc. Because it brings me a short term pleasure through dopamine reward system, and that is all automatic. Uh, authors put it at a minimum ninety, and some put it up to ninety nine point something percent. That if we don't train the brain, we get stuck in that very conditioned brain, which is conditioned more for survival purposes or, or being appreciated by others, is the prefrontal cortex, the, the, the more advanced brain at the front of our brain, on top of our on top, that is the more evolved brain that's able to actually identify what am I about? You know, how do I fit into the big picture? Who's able to postpone short-term gratification for longer-term intentions, purpose, outcomes, etc. So until the self-regulation piece fits in there, it's how do I tame my fast brain, which has been programmed over millions of years, to access what I call the slower brain, my prefrontal cortex, executive functions, which dates back maybe 100,000 years, and our brain hasn't changed in about 20 or 40,000 years. So we've, you know, it, it, it's there, but with today's pace, data input, um, we we don't have the ability to take that that perspective that historically we had to look at our lives because we're just so damn busy. Right. So I think that a lot of what you're saying here is tied into discipline, and I'm sure you have some some tips for for helping everyone try to 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 get that mental. Um, that to, to, to work on their awareness. Um, how do we know when you speak of mental programming and people trying to conform? Uh, and I can really relate to that. And I think anybody who has children uh, sees how their kids will try to act like the other kids, dress like the other kids, you know, talk like the other kids. Um, how do we come to recognizing or identifying when we're trying to conform to what others want and expect of us. And mm. when we're doing something because it's what we really want to do. Good point. And I'm going to add to it. It's not just all, it is what you've just mentioned, what, you know, what other people want, that socialized mind I talked about, but there's also all the conditioning that we've gone through when we were young, just to get, you know, to get through sometimes some challenging parts of, of, our, of, of our childhood uh, example well it, it does bring it down to being appreciated but I'll give you an example the person who when they were young were coming home with the 95 on their on their scorecard and dad out of good intention was saying that's wonderful my dear but you know what could you do to get 100 next time so just that all this pressure that we get sometimes when we're young by teachers by, by parents etc can condition us to feel that we're not enough to feeling that we may be rejected under certain circumstances, etc. So the first thing I find really important to do is just to have a good understanding of that reality, to realize that we still have this inner child inside each one of us. We're all the product of our upbringing, not to mention obviously the, you know, not to mention our, our DNA and some are even going into transgenerational elements of our of our ways of being as well but independently we're we're shaped at a very early age and what that does is we could easily spend our lives not being aware of it 
All right. And when you once you realize that there is that inner child and typically that inner child hasn't been heard, hasn't been acknowledged. And I do a lot of work with my clients, be it in coaching or psychotherapy, where we actually name that inner child and we revisit it and we say, OK, what is that inner child asking of you right now? Why is that inner child fearful right now or worried right now or or, 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 or feeling shame right now? And, and just to realize that we have sort of two realities, the one that helped us shape our identity, our ego, or patterns, typically up to the age of about 25, but very early on in life, and that that has carried through, has got sophisticated as we got adults, and, 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 and we, we massage it. it, it expresses itself in more you know, socially acceptable ways, but it's still there. So simply to be aware that we all have these conditioning and some of them are helping us some of them are no longer helping us and really taking stock and the book talks about that is how do we actually take stock of what carl Jung was calling our shadows what other right. authors like gabor mate calls trauma with a small t in some cases sometimes with a big t well i'm sure a lot of people would love to have someone like you in their life who they could talk to and you know <laughs> sort of dig into these issues with a, with a professional. But uh, certainly since COVID, access to mental health uh, professionals, psychologists, psychotherapists, psychiatrists has become extremely difficult. But uh, there are things that people can do to develop their sort of consciousness training to be able to identify what's going on in their minds and their bodies. Uh, more easily. So, and you talk about that in your book. So maybe you can suggest a few ways mm -hmm. how people can develop mindfulness in a realistic, accessible way. Totally. So we'll talk about mindfulness, but just before that, to bring greater awareness to what's moving us away from that life of greater purpose, aligned with our values, etc. What's super interesting to do sometimes, it's a very simple exercise. You just take stock, get a journal going, and then you note, what behaviors did I do that were actually moving me away from what I stated as what I really want in life, what's important for me, my intention, my values. So just by logging the behaviors that are actually showing up, you've got your key there. You've already got your first, your first mirror as to what's driving you away. And once you've seen those behaviors, then you could deep dive into them and say, okay, when I do that behavior, when I'm in a group and I just shut down, I just freeze, what's the belief behind that? Well, there's this little voice that comes up that says I'm not enough because when I was young, I was the youngest in a family, nobody would listen to me. Ah, okay. So this, this belief that I'm not enough. Then you can start asking yourself, is that true? And then you say, well, I've, I've done X, Y, Z, I got lots of friends, etc." So you realize that you're living with this script and these beliefs that that have evolved, where your reality has evolved, and those beliefs have just stuck on. And as soon as you start noticing those beliefs, then already you loosen your grip on them, and they won't have as much impact. Now, you mentioned mindfulness, and that's at the heart of what we do. So even to have access to your values and your intent, and to have access to those beliefs that are, you know, that have been programmed into you in an unconscious way, a mindfulness practice is the way of calming down the brain all right so i'm going to explain a few quick ways of doing it but if we remember i just talked about two brains we've got that fast brain 
that comes from the mammalian and, and the reptilian brain, that one's all automatic. It's designed to be mind-wandering. It's designed, it's not just that one, there's also other structures in the cortex area, but the brain has been designed to scan the environment about 48% of the time, and it has an 80% negative bias to it. And we tend to repeat the same stories over and over again, up to 80% of each thought that we have, we've had before. So we've got this machine on top of our shoulders that is built quite honestly, to generate stress and anxiety, because that's what's keeping us historically safe. Now, there weren't as as much stimulation in the past, although stress and anxiety has been an issue for thousands of years, because these practices have been around for thousands of years. So mindfulness, super simple concept, is you actually train your mind to move away from the busyness of the stories that are floating around in the mind and the, the ruminating and, and the going into the past and anticipating the future, etc., and simply bringing your attention back to the sensations of the present moment. So, you know, in its purest form, we talk about meditation. So there are many kinds of meditation. What we call mindfulness meditation is you simply choose an object that you will bring your attention to. Very often, it's the breath. So when you're focusing on the breath, you're not getting lost in your thoughts. When you do get lost in your thoughts, you bring your attention back to the breath. And each time you bring your attention back to the breath, you've just done a push-up for your mind. The mind is learning, is literally developing some neural conducts, new neurons, to the slow brain or that prefrontal cortex, who is then able to look at your life and say, oh, you're in an old belief right now. You're, 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 You're misaligned with your values and your intent, because those values and those intent lie in the more evolved brain. So if we don't have a technique to slow down the fast brain, going in every direction, well, we get stuck in all of those, all those thoughts. Right. And you know? I just like to add that uh, you're not, you're talking about moving away from thoughts, not eliminating thoughts altogether, because it's often why people will you know, abandoned yeah. meditation because they say, well, totally. I keep, I can't get rid of my thoughts. They're mm-hmm. always there. Such a wonderful uh, comment. Indeed. A lot of people think meditation is clearing out your head. I've got an attention deficit. I should be on medications and I'm not. And so at the beginning, when I started practicing and training my brain, and even today, my mind wanders every, you know, four or five, six seconds. Sometimes I could stabilize it and last longer. And that doesn't matter. I always say there's three three big training when you're in your mind one is to find focus and attention but the other one is what we call metacognitions the ability to observe that you're caught up in your thoughts so the mind is observing thoughts and then you could untangle that because when the mind's observing the thoughts the mind becomes the thoughts so you untangle the thought and you bring the attention of your mind back to the breathing so you're you realize in time that you are not your thoughts You are an observer of your thoughts and the thoughts could really overcome you and generate behaviors and beliefs about a situation when in fact, there are some alternatives. So that's one thing about the meditation. Um, But you're also right when you say a lot of people get discouraged about meditation. So one thing that we do is start with other techniques. And, And one technique is just what we call informal practice. So let's say you're going for a walk. Just get used to the idea of being in the present moment. 
So you're going for a walk, you feel your feet on the ground, you feel the wind going through your face, you smell whatever smells are out in front of you. Um, same thing if you're taking a shower or having a coffee. You just expand on your awareness of all of your senses and your external environment. And every time the mind wanders, you bring it back. That's the training. And the more you do that, same thing with breathing techniques. There are hundreds of breathing techniques. And those breathing techniques are also a way of calming down the brain and bringing you back into the present moment. So there are many doorways in. And, and meditation is probably one that could come in a bit later once you've done the, the informal practices, once you've done some breathing. Or you could jump right into meditation. I jumped right into it. And I've never, I've never let it go over the last 10 years. Well, I've attended several meditation retreats as, as, as you have. And when you meditate over long periods, it's always combined with walking meditation. And I find walking meditation extremely eff effective. Mm -hmm. um, so, you know, for people who say they can't stay sitting all the time or just stay still, uh, you can be in movement and and be in a meditative state. I mean, it's a bit like what runners talk about, right? When they're running and they reach a sort of a level of flow. And so, yeah, we don't. I like the idea that it doesn't necessarily have to be just uh, sitting on the cushion practice to develop it's, this consciousness yeah. that, that yeah. we need to have to realize what our limiting thoughts are and stuff. Yeah, but I, um, totally. time is, is moving on, and you yeah. have four pillars, actually, in your book. Uh, I want to talk about what I believe is the last one, and then you can sum everything up for us because uh, a super important... A super important factor in people's overall happiness is friendships, right? And um, it's one of the main reasons why people are open to working, going back to the office to work now. They, they miss their colleagues. They miss the, uh, you know, the, the human sort of closeness of, of being with people. So how important are the quality of our relationships to our overall well-being? Yeah. It is the most foundational, all right? We kept it for the last, but it's actually the first. And for those who are interested, maybe you want to put that in the notes, but there's an amazing TED Talk called What Makes a Good Life. It came out in December 2015, and it's the longest longitudinal study ever done on happiness by a psychiatrist called Robert Waldinger. And he looked at, unfortunately, it was limited to men, but he looked at over 700 men from both educated backgrounds to the hoods of, of Boston. And by far, they looked for 75 years, there's still some of these people that are still, this was at the wartime, there's still some that are still alive in that study. And the variable that stood out significantly from all the other ones was the quality of their relationships. And there's been many other studies that go in that same direction. So we're not talking about number here. We're not talking about like how many friends you have on various social media. We're talking about deep friendships where you feel safe. And I think the element of safety is a critical one. Because if we're not feeling safe, then stress and anxiety kicks in. And stress and anxiety reduces your, you know, uh, a lot of, uh, a lot of your, your, your overall uh, health uh, statistics and, and various measurements. So being surrounded by like-minded people, or at least just people that you feel you could have deep, meaningful, safe connections with, is indeed the main factor behind well-being and the fourth pillar. 
Uh, absolutely, I totally agree with you, and it's true we did leave it for the for the end, but um, relationships is also a very big factor in what they call the blue zones, exactly uh, populations, yeah. Uh, yeah, the things that keep people alive to over a yeah. hundred and. And even in the wellness community, you know, they said um, at one point sitting was the new smoking and then it became solitude was the new sitting. Mm, so, um, you know, the, the, the loneliness factor that was so present during during COVID, people were isolated and how detrimental it is to people's health. So maybe you could just make sure that uh, we we've covered the four pillars that people recognize what the sort of the bullet points are here for the four sure. pillars of happiness so the first one they're not necessarily putting them in order by definition their pillars are sort of side by side but the first one we talked about was having a very clear sense of purpose intent with very well-defined values to have a value-driven life more than a socialized life the second one is that notion of self-awareness and self-regulation so that we're very clear on what kind of, I call them algorithms, what kind of learnt behaviors and, and conditioned ways of thinking are actually moving us away from the life that we are designing for the future. The third one, I could have put it anywhere in there, is this notion of stabilizing your mind. Because through mindfulness, through presence, because if you don't have a stable mind, the fast brain, that, that animal brain, which got us through all of these millions of years, will kick in automatically. So it needs to be trained. You need to create that gray matter between that slow brain and the fast brain to better modulate it, to better regulate it. And then the last one we just talked about was the quality of your relationship. Now, that's super important. We're not talking about numbers here. And I think that's what went wrong in history right now. It's a unique time. We discovered social media not that long ago. And we get lost in the dopamine rush of just, you know, communicating with people on various channels on something, but they're not meaningful relationships. It's just a lot of volume and short-term dopamine rushes in the brain because you've connected with somebody, but it doesn't bring you the comfort, the safety. So the last one is meaningful relationships. Well, this is excellent advice and great tips distilled down to, you know, four are really important actions that people can make and things they can be looking out for uh, to, to increase happiness in their life. So before I ask you my final question, I just want to make sure that our listeners know how to reach out to you, how to find you, buy your book. Um, I know you give seminars for business people, etc. So what's the best place to find mm -hmm. Carl Lemieux and buy your book. Yeah, that's very kind of you to bring that up. A good place to see what we're doing is at maybe on our website. So Minds Matter, Minds with an S, Matter, all in one word, dot com. So you'll see, uh, you'll get my profile. You can reach out to me from there. And you could find the book that just came out a few weeks ago, last month ago, called Vertical Growth, that I'm a co-writer with Michael Bunting. Michael Bunting wrote another bestseller called The Mindful Leader. So it's the second in his series. Well, not more than the second. He's written quite a few books. So I'm the second author in there as uh, the one who brought in these pillars. That um, Yeah, so you could get that at Amazon or, or 
any places uh, well, through Wiley. Well, perfect. Yeah. And we'll have that in the show notes too. Mm-hmm. Um, and I always ask my guests before we end the show, uh, what's your definition of prosperous and happy? Hmm. Great question. Um, for me, it's really getting to the space of inner peace. So a place where things aren't always perfect because that doesn't happen. A place where you can ride the waves of life, you know, through its ups and its down, but still maintain the sense of stability, the sense of not being overwhelmed by what life throws at you. And revisiting maybe the notion of plenitude and, and even prosperity. Uh, we've been conditioned certain ways, but sometimes prosperity could be many things. It could be the quality of friendships, relationship with your kids, etc. So I would say, I would sum it like that. I like that. that I like mm-hmm. that. And actually, you know, the Prosperous and Happy Life podcast is open to all those different interpretations of Prosperous and Happy. That's why mm. I think we're going to have fun speaking to a lot of people and looking at all angles of this so thanks again for speaking with me and thank you to all our listeners for tuning in please make sure to subscribe to the prosperous and happy life podcast on spotify captivate or google podcast we'll be releasing new episodes the last friday of every month and in the meantime you can follow me on linkedin and facebook at mary hagerman the link is in the description box below And you can also sign up for my free monthly newsletter on my website, www.maryhagerman.ca. So thanks again for listening, and we'll see you next time. This podcast has been prepared by and expressed the opinions of Mary Hagerman and not necessarily the opinions of Raymond James Limited. Statistics, data, and other information presented are from sources RJL believes to be reliable, but their accuracy cannot be guaranteed. This podcast is for information purposes only and is not to be construed as an offer or solicitation for the sale or purchases of securities. Investors considering any investment should consult with their investment advisor to ensure that it is suitable for the investor's circumstances and risk tolerances before making any investment decisions. Past performance is no guarantee of future results. Information provided in this podcast is general in nature and should not be construed as providing legal accounting and or tax advice. Should viewers have any specific questions and or issues in these areas, please consult your legal, tax and or accounting advisor. RJL is a member of the Canadian Investors Protection Fund.